Hello and welcome back to the Placentia Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Garrett Gearhart. I'm the Director of Emerging Generations here at Placentia Presbyterian Church. And with me today is Alfredo Delgado. Alfredo, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, Gary. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, I'm getting excited for uh, a trip that I have. Uh, many of us this, this weekend are going down to Tijuana on the border with the Global Emerging Project. So I'm excited and uh, looking forward to that. That's good. That sounds like an exciting moment in your life too, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I think our goal is, uh, depending on how it works, is next week on the next week's podcast, uh, uh, Tobin and Mindy and I will be talking about our experience. That would be really cool. So that would be fun. Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about the sermon on Sunday, um, which was talking about the Worldwide Village. And uh, you were uh, speaking to us about the importance of not just having a community that supports us and surrounds us with encouragement, but how do we truly and effectively participate in um, our own community in a way that uh, helps others thrive and helps others uh, do what it is that God's called them to do. And so today I'd like to talk to us a little bit uh, about that. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how you felt God calling you to speak on this topic? Yeah. So, Basically, we are doing the uh, sermon series that is called Go, based on the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And actually, the text that is supposed to be used this Sunday was all about the life of Jesus growing up. And uh, the Bible says that he was growing in favor, in grace, and wisdom, and in stature. So everything, the whole humanity of Jesus, you can say it, um, uh, was growing. You know, he was becoming this kind of person that he's supposed to be. And um, so the original title actually was, uh, It Takes a Village. And we all know that expression. I thought about that for a while and I thought, you know what, that's a good thing. That's a really good expression. But I thought that actually you never get to leave the village. If you think about the village, you know, a as your community, which could be your city or your town or your country, whatever, right? It's just the community, the larger community, it's the whole earth. I mean, you, you live in a planet where every, any human being needs um, the presence of another human being to be a better person. And obviously the presence of God. So so the title changed from it takes a village, village to Never leave the village. Because actually, I said on Sunday, you could leave the village mentally, emotionally, psychologically, but physically, there is no way that you come out of the village because the village, actually, the larger village is the whole earth. It's okay. You can't go unless, like I said on Sunday too, you find another planet and all the necessary tools to get there. You could leave the village maybe. But maybe that's still part of the same the same village. In a, yeah, in a way. Because Universe. We, so what happened if that person goes there? I mean, we just, you know, this is just uh, a way to say, right? Metaphorically, let's say they go there. Do they have all the resources to stay there for a long time? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. might need to come back, yeah. <laughs> back to the village and yeah. get some resources to go back again. So that's kind of funny, but that's the way it is. We always go back yeah. in some ways. I, uh, I, I'm i a big fan of sci-fi, science fiction. Uh, and a lot of the books and shows that I watch, there's um, some significant religious and spiritual overtones uh-huh. because uh, I guess the sci-fi authors feel that, uh, especially Christianity, when new planets are discovered or when we, or when we go to 
planets, even in our own solar system, Christians are going to go too because mm-hmm. people are out there. And I think that's that's really valid. And uh, just last night, I watched a show where they introduced this character who's a who's a, a pastor and a reverend, and uh, she's very well regarded, and she has a lot of sway on all the people who live out. They called it in the belt, like the asteroid belt. Um, I don't know. I think I think that the village will continue to be where people are, yeah. you know, and where, when people love God and they continue to love people, I think uh, the village will extend to them as well. I really like this idea of um, of going, but uh, going focused on on people, you know, and the people could be uh, in your family or your next door neighbor, or the people can be halfway across the globe. Um, but when you go, you know, Jesus. Uh, when he talks to us about this, it's kind of in context of um, the goal is not just to go. You know, you're not just going to just to get out because uh, you have to keep moving for the gospel. But the go is because um, it's not just about you; it's about loving other people. And so, you to love other people, you're going to have to move mm-hmm. uh, uh, emotionally or metaphorically. But you're going to have to do an action, and that's that's to love someone, to extend grace and compassion to those around you. And so, the go. Uh, so we don't get distracted about the physicality of that word or the action or the verbness of that word, but instead uh, focus on the the how to love others and to be there for others. I like that. You know the text that says, um, you know, go to the whole world basically and preach the gospel. You know, Jesus' commands to his disciples. I remember early on when I was very young, this missionary from the United States that came to Caracas, Venezuela, she taught us, you know, that the way that she reads the text um, was this way. She said, you know, you will not be able to go to the whole world. I mean, a person at least. So she saw, she understood it as a, as you go into the world, whatever that might be, you know, it could be Caracas, it could be Buenos Aires, it could be your job, Placentia, it yeah. doesn't matter, you know, as you go, preach the gospel. So that really shifted my imagine. I mean, first of all, increased my ability to imagine the text. And, so, and secondly, it, it shifted from a geographical place, Garrett, like you said, to a more like uh, actual, my daily living, right? So as I go into the world, I preach the gospel. So I, I, do, I do like that version of way of seeing the text because we always, we always going. The, the point is, what are we going to? And what is it that we want to do when we're right. going? Right. So I think that was the heart kind of, that's the heart kind of behind the, the missional movement. You know, the idea, if you look at that command as you have to go like somewhere far and, and that's the way you fulfill that, then you'll look at other people like, like missionaries to do that for you. And you'll, maybe you'll support them or you'll pray for them. But if you look at that as, as you go, like whatever it is that you do, can you be on mission for God? everywhere, you know, I think that puts it back on us to, um, in a good way, to confidently live out that command and, uh, you know, and to share the gospel with others in, the, in, in ways that we can and ways that fit our personality and our strengths. Mm-hmm. In, <clears throat> so I, I would like to bring back, if it's okay with you, the idea of Jesus being the person that we spoke about as a person who belonged to a village, right? yeah. yeah. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that was my question. Let's, let's talk okay, more go, about... Go. And, that, and that's kind of surprising to think that Jesus, God, had support of all of these people. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we have to read the whole passage, chapter 2 of Luke, to figure out that Jesus had 
an incredible number of people supporting him from his birth till actually to his death. You know, you can see his mother and his disciples and other people kind of waiting for him uh, as he went through that difficult ordeal of the cross. But in, in the meantime, before the cross, you know, was actually activated, let me just use that phrase, you, you go back all, all the way back to his life and you see the first thing that you see is his mother is blessed by the announcement that she is blessed among women because she's gonna bear, she's gonna, she's gonna give birth to this child that, from the very beginning, is is blessed by the angel and commanded to be a blessing. And from the very beginning, the angel is speaking life into this baby that is what is gonna be called Jesus. And also, you see that in the life of John the Baptist, his cousin, and other peoples in the Bible. But in this particular case, Jesus is blessed with a community, a village, the term that we are using. Very large, you know, his parents, his family, family members, friends, uh, you know, uh, temple teachers, uh, Anna and, and Simeon. So, so many people was around Jesus to make sure to bless him. I mean, to basically to, make, to bless him. So for me, it's very important to think about Jesus as a one model of, of a person who lived in a village and is supported and actually built up by the village. You know, I... I I think that's um, probably an under-talked-about area of Jesus' life, and it's not something that we have a lot of biblical text about. Um, you know, wh- why do you think there is so much or so little written about Jesus? You know, growing up, because even even I told you even now, like I, you know, I wasn't familiar necessarily with some of these biblical figures who supported Jesus. You know, we we kind of look at Jesus' birth and then we skip to the beginning of his ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, is it because we think he didn't need any help or is it because we think uh, adolescence is awkward and we don't want to imagine Jesus as a teenager? You know, why do you think that um, we typically don't spend a lot of time in this time of Jesus' life? I think we take it for granted in many ways. We probably think that, you know, supernaturally he always was supported by God, but I like to think that he was not only supernaturally supported, I think he was also naturally, you know, by his own community. In fact, if you go back to the time when he's lost in the temple, right, and you li- you read the last text, it says that Jesus went back with his parents and he was submitted to them and continued to grow. So that text is, is obviously uh, overlooked because basically what it's saying is, Oh wow, Jesus continued to be a regular human being who had his parents raising him and the community and the synagogue and everything, and he continued to grow and develop. In the case of John the Baptist, for instance, the Bible tells us clearly that he went into the desert before he became that prophet. So he was learning something there that we don't know exactly what it was. Obviously, we believe that it was, you know, the Word of God and God teaching him all this stuff. But in the same with Jesus, you know, we don't know all the details of his life from 12 years old till 30 years old. It's like 18 years gap, right? But actually, it's a gap that we want to see because, you know, in reality, the last test is telling us that he's growing as a regular human being within his own uh, group of people. So, Yeah, uh, I think that mirrors a lot of our um, supports and a lot of our our growing up is how significant it is for those people around us. And that kind of shapes us. Who, we, When we're 30, we kind of can look back and think of all the people in our lives that helped us become who we are mm-hmm. as 
as a as an adult or as somebody who's confident in who they who God has called them to be. Um, something that you talk about and uh, that comes along with this worldwide village. This is a place where greatness is welcomed, and I think um, a lot of us struggle with that because maybe we don't feel great, um, and or we don't feel like we're able to achieve the things that we want to. But I like that you kind of. I mean, not to say that's a bad thing, but you clarify and say, you know, what, what that really means is is, is um, achieving what God has planned for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you uh, in your village are welcome to be you and who you are. Talk a little bit about how being being you and being who God called you is, is really a way to be great and to... Exactly. Yeah. So <clears throat> thank you for bringing back that thought. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's because <clears throat> I believe... Um, we believe greatness is something that is forbidden. It's only allowed for people that are no Christians, you know, also special people whatsoever, right? It could be Christians or no Christians, but we believe that some people is unique and we believe some people could be great and should be great and we also support them through. But we don't believe sometimes that we could be great. Why? Because the idea of greatness that we have is somebody is better than me. Oh, I am so better than somebody else. That's greatness for many people. Greatness, actually, that's the, defi- the definition and an understanding of the regular world, the secular world, or whatever world, right? But the Christian understanding of greatness is actually what we say, level playing field. So everybody gets a shot in the kingdom of, 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 of God. So you can be who you were supposed to be. Let's say, Greg, that you were meant to be you know, a leading youth pastor. I mean, that does not mean that you were meant to be a leading youth pastor in comparison to one of these famous churches, but the kind of youth pastor that God called you to be, and successfully so, without comparing yourself with anybody else because you were gifted uniquely and God wants you to thrive and, and, and being Garrett and being that kind of person. And it's the same for me as Alfredo Delgado and other people, right? Let me give you an example. We were talking about different stories about how the village nurtures us. And I'm going to tell you, I just finished to watch the, the, the series of the legend of Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. uh, kind of familiar with him, right? Yeah. Let me tell you, I had a, fan, a fantasy in my mind. I really liked that guy. I still like him. I even like him even more after watching the, the, the series, right? And every series is biased. You know that everybody has their own goals in, in, in producing things. But... I'm going to tell you, I had him in my mind as an incredible uh, fighter, right? And uh, he was an artist, martial artist, right? And he was a legend and all that. I didn't get to know him really. I only knew his abilities and his fame. And that was enough for me to want it to be not necessarily like him, but at least to learn some of his skills. And I cannot tell you that I know a lot, but I know a few skills of that kind of practices a little bit um and but i learned more things about how to continue to pursue what i was supposed to be pursuing right when i was younger then i got to see and that's his life as in in my adulthood and i was like what i didn't know he was that disturbing he was really disturbing but i neither knew that he had so many incredible mentors First of all, his father taught him how to be an actor. I didn't know that. 
do you know no, about? No. Okay, then uh, his uh, first uh, teacher, his uh, actually they call him Wing Chu Fu, uh, is no Kung Fu originally uh, was his uh, uncle, which was not his real uncle, but somebody he ado- who adopted him as a, as an uncle. He taught him a lot of good moves. And he got encouraged into that. And then he learned cha-cha-cha, another dance. It's a dance from, from Hong Kong. And then he learned, so he kept moving in life. And every single person who knew a very particular skill taught him something. I, I even didn't know that he mixed karate, or karate, 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 how you call it, karate? Karate. Karate, yeah. Um, taekwondo and other martial arts. I didn't know that. But how did I know that? Well, they're retelling his stories. And part of the thing that he really did well, he was always asking for a fight with somebody else to learn hmm. his skills. Okay. He didn't want to fight to to uh, defeat, them. defeat him, although that would have been really nice for him. He said, I want to defeat him. He wanted to do that. But he wanted more, the most to learn from that person. And the reason why he created his new style is because he accumulated this knowledge and this experience from many people. And I think that is part of what I understand as becoming who you are, because you're learning from other people and you're being nurtured and encouraged by other people. And now I'm like, man, this is kind of fascinating because this guy was a very, very, very um, open, although he was private in many ways, but he was very open in, in telling people, I don't know this, can you teach me? And some people didn't want to because back then it was almost a sin to teach you uh, something that was part of my my uh, particular branch of martial uh, martial art. And but he broke all those things and he said, "Look, I need to learn." And they defeated him. Some many times he was defeated. By the way, I didn't know that. I, I thought he never lost, but he did. But he learned through that uh, to become a. A better villager, if you will. So yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think we often um, forget what it takes to be successful, to be someone who's recognized as great. Um, we like to think maybe it's just naturally who they are, and then and then maybe we won't feel as bad that we're not like that. But but in reality, not only does it take a lot of work, like you said, Bruce Lee had to constantly be learning new things, but it was the people who helped him along the way. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, can I, can I kind of stop quickly? Because I think this is important for the American public in general and for our church, right? Is, you know, I really, I'm fascinated that he also learned from Japanese. That, that was a big deal back then. And he also learned a lot also from American, European Americans and black Americans were part of his life. Well, at least one, according to the movie at least. So he learned from every single group of people too. Not only Chinese people, especially Cantonese, his people, but any people. And don't you think that is an incredible thing that we can achieve here in America easily? Learn from across cultures and across people a lot. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I was just thinking about that a lot today. And uh, later today, I'm filming a little little Instagram video. I do uh, One Minute Wednesday. And the question I want to propose to people is, is not only how do you be truly a cross-cultural community, but what are your examples of that? You know, where in your life did you find was the best example of a truly cross-cultural community? And and think about that. Think about you know you know what made it 
what made it so significant in your life, what made it so so cross cultural, um, why why were the individuals so open to others and of a different culture, and on the back side of that, what did you gain from that? You know, how did that help you be a better person because you had the chance to be a part of that? And I think for for most people, it's going to be a com- many different answers. It might be a school, it might be a family, it might be a sports team, or it might be a church. Yeah, and I see the church as a cheerleader also. <clears throat> for instance, you know, in the past, I remember I wanted people to be also missionaries and pastors. I, I was a, I was one. I was young. And I was kind of naive in a way that I I thought serving God, the best thing to do was to be a pastor or a missionary. Obviously, I was one. But then, obviously, you learn that the best thing for people to do is to be who they were meant to be, right? Whether if you're a pastor or a missionary, a lawyer, an architect, it doesn't matter. But we need to have a church, a village, a wider village that tells us it's okay to become a lawyer. And I think you have a story about somebody who wants to become a lawyer. I don't know. We were talking early in the morning about it. So, you know, I think we need to be cheerleaders of people when people will say to us, you know what, I know God wants me to serve him, but I really don't know where. But the only thing that I really want to do is to be an architect. Some people would probably tell this person, you know, well, you don't go to Bible study. I mean, Bible study, Bible Bible college or whatever. You can do that. I will encourage that. But I... Why don't you ask the question, why? You know, why do you really want to be an architect? Is Do you like designs? Do you like creating things? And maybe this person was gifted with the ability to create new models and new designs and stuff. And it's okay if you go to Bible college, but maybe it's not the best place for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in that sense. Sure. So how do you see that? Do you want to share the story about the... the yeah, so we, uh, Alfred and I were talking about you know, really good examples of... Um, of people in villages being supported by their village and then um, finding their place um, in the village, both locally and globally. Um, we have uh, right above my office is a communal immigration services that offer um, help in navigating the immigration uh, issues and the immigration policies here um, in America. And, um, you know, I don't want to overstep, but sometimes we feel like, you know, we can see people from outside of the community, maybe people of um, who have the privilege to get an education to go into these neighborhoods and communities and serve them and volunteer. And then and then sometimes it is uh, seems unique when someone from within the community decides to kind of uh, serve within the community to go out and, and to get the required training education to go back and to serve that community. It's a little bit like your Maasai warrior story that you shared, but um, in the Camino Immigration Services above us, there, there's a there's a woman who grew up in, in the community that they serve by us um, in the Garnett neighborhood and saw the need um, for uh, help uh, in immigration services. And so she decided to get the training to become, at this point, uh, a case manager. And um, she's fascinated by the, by the uh, I don't know the story completely, but the uh, the legal requirements to do this. And so this is what she does. It's her full-time job now. She works at communal immigration services to go back and serve uh, within the community that she grew up in. And, and this organization, Camino, is part of Solidarity that started off with like after-school programs for um elementary school kids and then teenage team leadership programs. And she was a part of a lot of those things that kind of guided her towards that. And you can see how, um, 
there was most likely a lot of support from her village, from not only the uh, nonprofit organization that she was a part of, but I would imagine her friends and family um, would encourage her to uh, to do something that uh, she felt called to do and that would go back and, and help the village. And I think that we need people to do different things. And something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago with our Enneagram podcast, that people having different personalities and different types that... Um, you know, there's different parts of one body. And I, I, it was really funny. You know, I've heard a lot of, not that everyone should be a pastor, but a lot of like, if you really want to serve God, you should be a pastor and a missionary. Man, if we were all pastors and missionaries, like there'd be so many holes in the kingdom of God that people weren't doing. You know, where would the teachers be? Where would the doctors be? Where would the lawyers be? Where would the architects and pilots? And I mean, the society cannot run on pastors and missionaries alone. Oh, uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, what, what, a, what a sad uh, society that would look like. Um, God has called us all to, to do the things that he's prepared for us in advance to do. And the, and the village is the place that births these people and, and supports them to do those things. I think that what the church can do is to have an architect or a lawyer or whoever, you know, a sport, sport person you know, who wants to do that to always help them f- gain a pastoral and prophetic uh, voice or, or attitude. Okay, you don't have to be a pastor to be pastoral and you don't have to be a prophet to be prophetic. Neither you have to be an evangelist, like, for instance, Luis Palau, Billy Grant, or, you know, any name that you know, uh, to be a, an evangelistic person. You could always share the gospel, with, even with the way you design your, your, your models, your structures, whatever, right? So people will always be kind of, I'll give an example, for instance, in the, in the Muslim community, uh, I have read sometime in, in different places where they don't do, they do incredible designs of their buildings and stuff. They always leave a little th- part of that that is imperfect, you know. And I, I was wondering about that. And, and they said the reason for that is because even according to their own, uh, this particular group at least, they said that they don't want to be, uh, they want to be really good, but they also want to leave a space for perfection to be only only assigned to God. So you see, at least in their mentality, in their understanding, the way they want to do their designs is to always point back to God. Well, we can learn from them that too. Maybe we can, you know, train a person to be the best base. In my case, right, I want to to see that a person who want to be a great baseball player. But when you do that, remember where are you pointing to? Who are you pointing to? Don't you think that Absolutely. would be a, an interesting way to to see your 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 gifting? Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I work with a lot of teens and young adults who begin to find their passion and maybe their calling and, and I guess the career path that they might have. And I always encourage them. Um, you know, if you feel called to finance or engineering. Always like the have always have a perspective of that that what is what it is that God wants you to do with that, um, and it's probably beyond just to do that because you enjoy it and it seems like it pays well or something. God might be calling you to do that because uh, you can use that for kingdom work. And it doesn't mean, like you said, it doesn't mean going to work and evangelizing, but it means going um, and figuring out how your calling uh, can point to God. And that's what I when uh, I go back to the the same conversation, which is, you know, the, the, our village, which is for me the all, the whole earth. I, I also said that 
2,000 years ago, this name by the name of Epictetus, he said that we have to see ourselves as citizens of the world. And I really like that because it's not just that you are Asian, I'm Caucasian, you're Latino, and I'm African-American, and we belong to particular groups. It's beyond that. You know, even if you are different than me, you are welcome in my village. And why? Because you and I are citizens of the same world. But even if you take that to the higher level for me, that will be the kingdom of God. So not only you are a citizen of the of the world, as your fellow human beings, they are partners of, of yours, but also in the kingdom of God, even Jesus said, you know, the, the least of this are important. You know, so I guess our village have to, in at least in our imagination and our mind, have to grow a little bit more. And we see people not as potential competitors, but as a potential uh, fellow of, of villagers. Yeah, I like that. I like what you said. It's it's uh it's kind of like uh, redefining greatness or even redefining success. Um, you know, each each and every one of us, even the least of these. Uh, can be used by God and will be used by God where they're at. Um, I like that. And they can come, uh, yeah. And so I always think about the list of this, for instance, I want to use that. They could be great too. And you say something really well. Uh, you said that particular part that you said from where they are at. Sometimes we think that they need to come to a developed country to become a better person. How about we partner with them where they are at and see what they got, whatever they have c- comes from the Lord, you know, and how would they be able to use what they were given to express their own greatness, right? And and so in the Bible, we, we see, I really like this passage in the Bible, one of the, in, in the Psalms, and then, and then later on, other, other writer quotes it, which is, uh, the first person that I that says that is the other Hannah, the, the, the Samuel's mother, and then Mary uses in the Magnificat uh, that says that she brought up the lowly. I mean, not she, he, God brought up the lowly. Uh, and, and I think the gospel is all about lifting up people. Even if they're rich, they might have places in their lives that need to be they need to be uh, redeemed. They need to be reframed. Uh, you say you use another word. Redefine. Uh, ref- Redefine. Redefine. Maybe for some rich people that are struggling. You know, have you ever heard this? I was impressed when I first heard this. People afflicted, afflicted with wealth. Have you mm. ever heard that? I, I was like, what? Wait. Afflicted with wealth. The first qu- thought that came to me is, I can help with that affliction. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I can help you out. I'm just teasing. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, you know, even the people that you think they have them all, the rich people, they might be afflicted with things where they are. They feel that they are the least of this in their hearts. And so how do we do that? By redefining greatness and success. Success is, is more about, you know, who you are than what you accomplish. And I believe that, you know, we can encourage that in our church, in our churches, in our communities. Be yourself. That will be the first call that I will ask, that will say, be yourself. And then if you're a Christian, be yourself through Christ. 
No, it's good. Good. I, I, uh, I, I'm glad that we end on that note of uh, what it is that we can do and, and how great of a challenge. Uh, you go to church or you listen to a podcast and you, you're, you're curious about uh, what it is that you're going to be challenged to do, and you just challenged us to just be ourselves. Uh, uh, I love that. And uh, I just want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, I hope that uh, people really enjoy uh, this this podcast, and uh, uh, we just want to encourage you to keep uh, keep the comments coming. Um, feel free to comment on uh, the Facebook post when we drop this podcast about what you thought about it, or if you have any questions and you'd like to get some feedback. We'd love to see some some conversation come out of these episodes uh, where you're you're uh, thinking about and, and wrestling with some of the ideas that is, are being presented. Um, we would love to see some dialogue as a part of this show and a part of what we do every week here. So um, as always, make sure you uh, check us out on Sunday mornings at 930 here at Placentia Presbyterian Church. Thanks for being with me, Alfredo. Thank you so much, Gary. Bye.